0: Chapter 49. The Traditio Templi postulates independently the tradition of a Templar knighthood, a spiritual knighthood of initiates. Henri Corbin, Temple et Contemplation, Paris, Flammarion, 1980 I believe I've got your allié figured out, Cassaubon, Thiotalevi said, having ordered a sparkling white wine from Pilade, making all of us fear for his moral health. He's a scholar, curious about the secret sciences, suspicious of dilettantes, of those who learn by ear. Yet, as we ourselves learn today, by our eavesdropping, he may scorn them, but he listens to them. He may criticize them, but he doesn't dissociate himself from them. Signor, or Count, or Valier or whatever the hell he is, said something very revealing today, Belbo added. He used the expression spiritual knighthood. He feels joined to them by a bond of spiritual knighthood. I think I understand him.' "'Joined? In what sense?' we asked. Belbo was now on his third martini, whiskey in the evening, he claimed, because it was calming and induced reverie, martinis in the afternoon because they stimulated and fortified. He began talking about his childhood in—name omitted—as he had already done once with me, It was between 1943 and 1945, that is, the period of transition from fascism to democracy, and then to the dictatorship of the Salo Republic, with the partisan war going on in the mountains. At the beginning of this story I was eleven, staying in my Uncle Carlo's house. My family normally lived in the city, but in 1943 the air raids were increasing, and my mother had decided to evacuate. Uncle Carlo and Aunt Caterina lived in—name omitted— Uncle Carlo came from a farming family and inherited the house, with some land which was cultivated by a tenant farmer named Adelino Canepa. The tenant planted, harvested the grain, made the wine, and gave half of everything to the owner. A tense situation, obviously. The tenant considered himself exploited, and so did the owner, who received only half the produce of his land. The landowners hated the tenants, and the tenants hated the landowners. But in Uncle Carlo's case, they lived side by side. In 1914, Uncle Carlo had enlisted in the Alpine troops. A bluff, Piedmontese, all duty and fatherland, he became a lieutenant, then a captain. One day, in a battle on the Carso, he found himself beside an idiot soldier who let a grenade explode in his hands. Why else call them hand grenades? Uncle Carlo was about to be thrown into a common grave when an orderly realized he was still alive. They took him to a field hospital, removed the eye that was hanging out of its socket, Cut off one arm, and according to Aunt Caterina, they also put a metal plate in his head, because he had lost some of his skull. In other words, a masterpiece of surgery on the one hand, and a hero on the other. Silver medal, Cavalier of the Crown of Italy, and after the war, a good steady job in public administration. Uncle Carlo ended up head of the tax office in name omitted, where, after inheriting the family property, he went to live in the ancestral home with Adelino Canepa and family. As head of the tax office, Uncle Carlo was a local bigwig, and as a mutilated veteran and cavalier of the Crown of Italy, he was naturally on the side of the government, which happened to be the fascist dictatorship. Was Uncle Carlo a fascist? In those days, fascism had given veterans status and rewarded them with decorations and promotions, so let's say Uncle Carlo was moderately fascist, fascist enough to earn the hatred of Adelino Canepa, who was ardently anti-fascist for obvious reasons. Canepa had to go to Uncle Carlo every year to make his income declaration. He would arrive in the office with a bold expression of complicity, having tried to corrupt Aunt Caterina with a few dozen eggs. And he would find himself up against Uncle Carlo, who, being a hero, was not only incorruptible, but also knew better than anyone how much Canepa had stolen from him in the course of the year, and who wouldn't forgive him one cent. Adelino Canepa, considering himself a victim of the dictatorship, began spreading slanderous rumors about Uncle Carlo. One lived on the ground floor, the other on the floor above. They met every morning and night, but no longer exchanged greetings. Communication was maintained through Aunt Caterina, and after the arrival through my mother, to whom Adelino Canepa expressed much sympathy and understanding, since she was the sister-in-law of a monster. My uncle, in his grey double-breasted suit and bowler, would come home every evening at six with his copy of La Stampa, still to be read. He walked erect, like an alpine soldier, his grey eye on the peak to be stormed. He passed by Adelino Canepa, who at that hour was enjoying the cool air on a bench in the garden, and it was as if my uncle did not see him. Then he would encounter Signora Canepa at the downstairs door and ceremoniously doff his hat, and so it went every evening, year after year. It was eight o'clock. Lorenza wasn't coming, as she had promised. Belbo was on his fifth martini. Then came 1943. "'One morning Uncle Carlo came into our room, "'waked me with a kiss, and said, "'My boy, you want to hear the biggest news of the year? "'They've kicked out Mussolini.' "'I never figured out whether or not Uncle Carlo suffered over it. "'He was a citizen of total integrity and a servant of the state. "'If he did suffer, he said nothing about it, "'and he went on running the tax office for the Badoglio government. "'Then came September eighth, "'and the area in which we lived fell under the control of the fascists' social republic, "'and Uncle Carlo again adjusted.' he collected taxes for the Social Republic. Adelino Canepa, meanwhile, boasted of his contacts with the partisan groups forming in the mountains, and he promised vengeance, the making of examples. We kids didn't yet know who the partisans were. There were great tales about them, but so far nobody had seen them. There was talk about a Bedolian leader known as Mongo, a nickname naturally, as was the custom then. Many said he had taken it from Flash Gordon. Mungo was a former Carabinieri sergeant-major who had lost a leg in the first fighting against the fascists and the SS, and now commanded all the brigades in the hills around. And then came the disaster. One day the partisans showed up in town. They had descended from the hills, they were running wild in the streets, still without uniforms, just blue kerchiefs, and firing rounds into the air to make their presence known. The news spread, all the people locked themselves in their houses. It wasn't yet clear what sort of men these partisans were— Aunt Caterina was only mildly concerned. After all, those Partisans were friends of Adelino Canepa, or at least Adelino Canepa claimed to be a friend of theirs, so they wouldn't do anything bad to Uncle, would they? They would. We were informed that around eleven o'clock a squad of Partisans with automatic rifles aimed had entered the tax office, arrested Uncle Carlo, and carried him off destination unknown. Aunt Caterina lay down on her bed and whitish foam began to dribble from her lips. She declared that Uncle Carlo would be killed. A blow with a rifle butt would be enough. With the metal plate in his head, he would die on the spot. Drawn by my aunt's moans, Adelino Canepa arrived with his wife and children. My aunt cried that he was a Judas, that he had reported uncle to the Partisans because uncle collected taxes for the Social Republic. Adelino Canepa swore by everything sacred that this was not true, but obviously he felt responsible because he had talked too much in town. My aunt sent him away. Adelino Canepa wept. Appealed to my mother, reminded her of all the times he had sold her a rabbit or a chicken at a ridiculously low price, but my mother maintained a dignified silence. Aunt Katerina continued to dribble whitish foam. I cried. Finally, after two hours of agony, we heard shouts, and Uncle Carlo appeared on a bicycle, steering it with his one arm and looking as if he were returning from a picnic. Seeing a disturbance in the garden, he asked what had happened. Uncle hated dramas, like everyone in our parts. He went upstairs, approached the bed of pain of Aunt Caterina, who was still kicking her scrawny legs, and inquired why she was so agitated. What had happened? What had happened was this. Mongo's partisans, probably hearing some of Adelino Canepa's mutterings, had identified Uncle Carlo as one of the local representatives of the regime, so they arrested him to teach the whole town a lesson. He was taken outside the town in a truck and found himself before Mongo. Mongo, his war medal shining, stood with a gun in his right hand and his left holding a crutch. Uncle Carlo, but I don't really think he was being clever, I think it was instinct or the ritual of chivalry, snapped to attention, introduced himself. Major Carlo Covasso, Alpine Division, Disabled Veteran, Silver Medal. And Mongo also snapped to attention and introduced himself. Sergeant Major Ray Baldengo, Royal Carabineers, Commander of the Badolian Brigade Bettino Ricasoli, Bronze Medal. Where Uncle Carlo asked, and Mongo, impressed, said, "Porto, Major, Hill 327." By God," said Uncle Carlo, "I was at Hill 328, Third Regiment, Sassodistria. The Battle of the Solstice, Battle of the Solstice, it was, and the cannon on Five Finger Mountain. Damn it to hell! Do I remember? And the bayonet attack on Saint Crispin's Eve. Yes, sir. That sort of thing." Then the one without an arm, the other without a leg, on the same impulse they took a step forward and embraced. Mongo said then, You see, Cavalier, it's this way, Major. We were informed that you collect taxes for the fascist government, the toadies to the invaders. You see, Commander, Uncle Carlo said, it's this way. I have a family and receive a salary from the government, and the government is what it is. I didn't choose it, and what would you have done in my place? My dear Major, Mongo replied, in your place I'd have done what you did. But try at least to collect the taxes slowly. Take your time. I'll see what I can do, Uncle Carlo said. I have nothing against you men. You, too, are sons of Italy and valiant fighters. They understood each other, because they both thought of Fatherland with a capital F. Mongo ordered his men to give the Major a bicycle, and Uncle Carlo went home. Adelino Canepa didn't show his face for several months there. I don't know if this qualifies as spiritual knighthood, but I'm certain there are bonds that endure above factions and parties.